Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine, chiropractor, and functional nutrition practitioner, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself. And on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. I'm excited about today's podcast. But before we jump in, I wanted to remind you to download this month's special gift at drjockersgift.com. From keto meal plans, smoothie recipes, to fasting quick start guides, we have a new complimentary gift every single month. To get your gift, simply visit drjockersgift.com. That's D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S-G-I-F-T.com. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by Perfect Keto. And guys, I just wanted to tell you about these great tasting keto cookie bars that they have. They're keto cookies. Um, You know, I've tried a lot of different low-carb desserts, low-carb cookies and things like that. These are definitely the best I've found. And I feel really mentally stable when I consume them. A lot of times, things are marked as low-carb, but they're actually still spiking your blood sugar and still promoting high insulin release. These ones I just seem to feel really, really good with. And you know, the the company, it took them over a year to formulate this product. They tried so many different ingredients and went through over 10 iterations and conducted rigorous blood ketone and blood sugar testing along the way to make sure that this great tasting cookie did not spike insulin, blood sugar, and reduce ketone levels. And so keto cookies are your pre-made keto dessert without the guilt. Think of it as an energy bar that tastes like a treat and supports your soft tissue recovery because it has collagen protein in there. And collagen is amazing for your joints, for your skin, your hair, your nails, your gut health. It's an anti-aging beauty food. And you can find that in these cookies. I mean, the reality is keto can be hard to stick to Keto cookies make it a lot easier. I mean, you can treat it like your fall off the wagon insurance. If you're really craving something, you're going to a party, other people are going to be eating things that um, may tempt you, you can bring these along and, and have them. And so ultimately, this product is formulated to not spike blood sugar. So you can rest assured with that. It has the collagen protein, again, amazing protein source. All of us need to be consuming Uh, because it has the right blend of amino acids to help support joint health, skin, hair health, and a gut line, healthy gut lining. It's not going to spike your blood sugar and you are going to love the flavors. So you can pick these up, these keto cookies at www.perfectketo.com forward slash drjockers and use the coupon code drjockers, just drjockers, all one word. And that's going to save you 15% off so you can really enjoy these cookies. They also have a lot of other great products. So again, go to www.perfectketo.com forward slash drjockers and use the coupon code drjockers for 15% off. You guys are going to absolutely love these. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast, where we believe your body was created to heal itself, and we're here to arm and equip you with everything you need to take back control of your health. And so today, we're going to talk about really just exactly what I was mentioning, like your God-given ability to heal. And I have got a great guest here, and she's got a powerful story. This is Ginny Dent Brandt. And Ginny is a contributing author for The Chosen Path, 365 Inspirational Messages, Love is a Flame, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Shaping the New You, and Online with Christian Devotions. She also contributes articles to the Baptist Courier in South Carolina, and she wrote a great new book. Those of you guys that are watching on video, you'll see that right here in my hand, Unleash Your God-Given Healing, Eight Steps to Prevent and Survive Cancer, and you can find her at Ginny Brandt. Dot com. And this is a great book. I was just reading it. She just sent me a, a copy. 
fantastic book, a lot of really powerful information in here. And she has got an incredible healing story as well. So Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Jockers. I'm one of your great admirers and I get a lot of information from you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. As I was skimming through, I saw my name in there a few times. So um, that was great. Along with some of my friends, Dr. Josh Axe, Dr. Eric Zielinski, and Ty Bollinger, and so many other great people uh, in the health space. So I can tell that you've been reading a lot of online articles and books. And, um, you know, I'd lo love to hear more about, you know, your story. I was reading it in the book, but uh, our audience really needs to know your story and, and um, you know, how you developed cancer and, and your strategies you used to, to, to heal. Well, I will tell you that I began learning about nutrition and different health strategies when I was just in high school and the doctor told me I had severe reactive hypoglycemia. That was my first lesson in using food as medicine and having to change my diet. But I kept on going, and then my dad had Alzheimer's, and I was his caretaker along with my mom and sister for 10 years. And that's when I really began to research what is going on here. Then my mother gets cancer. Four months after my mother dies from cancer is when I heard those words, you have breast cancer. Mm. The next week it was, it's not just any breast cancer, it's aggressive. And then the next week gave me words that I just couldn't process in my mind. And that's when the doctor said, it looks like it's spread all over your body. And I said, I don't believe you. I feel perfectly fine. So he took me in his office and he flashed up on this big, huge screen, my MRI. And that's where the analogy starts in my book to the Wizard of Oz, because it's like a tornado is in the middle of my body. And that made me do something that I recommend to all cancer patients or anyone with a serious illness, get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going to Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Chicago because at the time that was their specialty breast cancer center. And after five days of test and meeting with several surgeons and radiologists and doctors, they looked together at my MRI and they said, you know what? It might not be as bad as you were told. We'll not know to the surgery for sure, but we think this is inflammation all over your body from a biopsy that went bad, not necessarily cancer all over your body. And they were right. I still had quite a tough journey to go. But from the moment they told me I had cancer, the first thing in my mind was, okay, what caused it? And number two, what can I do to help my doctors to beat my cancer, lessen the side effects of all the treatments they told me would be needed, and get back to a normal, vibrant life? As I call it in the book, getting back home like Dorothy in The Wizard of yeah. Oz. And I was able to do that, but it was a quite a long journey that required a lot of discipline, a lot of work and a lot of attention, but I wanna let cancer patients know they can do a lot on their own. They can do a lot to complement what their doctor's doing. I mean, mm -hmm. some of the same things I used in my journey are what people used who don't do the surgery and the radiation and the chemotherapy. They completely change their lifestyle to reverse the cancer. So I'm doing it because mine's aggressive to make sure my doctor beats it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And I've heard great things about Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And uh, so glad that uh, you were able to get such great care there. And let's talk about some of the risk factors that went into, because I know in the, in the book, you talk about just how your shock that you were diagnosed. And, you know, the statistics are, are quite alarming that I think it's somewhere yes. around, you know, one out of two men, one out of three women are diagnosed with cancer some point during the course of their lives, yet most people are shocked when, uh, when we get the diagnosis. And so what were some of the risk factors that were involved in you developing that diagnosis? Well, actually, I didn't have any of the Cancer Society's risk factors. So I was not obese. Um, I did not take hormones for the uh, hormone-fed cancer that was aggressive that I got. Um, there are so many factors. I was not quite 60 where the risk goes up, but I, but I was close on that. I had my children before age 30. 
when you breastfeed your children, it lowers your risk for breast cancer. I breastfed all of them till they were uh, two years old, including a set of twins. I never took the hormone replacement therapy that a lot of people talk about. And so there was nothing about it that makes sense. I don't smoke, which are risk factors. I don't drink, which are risk factors. And so when you put it all together, my doctors looked at me and said, you know, usually we can tell someone why they got cancer, so they know what to do so that it doesn't come back. Then they did extensive genetic testing. I mean extensive and nothing came back. So that left me puzzled. They gave up at that point because there was nothing more they could do. And that's when I started going to integrative medical doctors to have tests done on my body to try to figure out what had gone wrong. And what did the integrative doctors find? Did they find things like vitamin D deficiency, um, blood sugar imbalances, they find anything, you know, that, that could have pointed towards stuff that was taking place. They did not at first, but when they did, there were, there was one test that was just done by chance. I had learned the truth about cancer yeah. to detox from all this chemo, you know, I needed to have a sauna. And so I got a sauna and I got involved in a clinical trial study with a sauna company and they were testing, I didn't realize what they were testing, but they were testing my levels of toxic chemicals in my body. Yeah. And when I got the results, I was alarmed. You know, everyday things uh, were in parabens and phylates and, you know, they're hormone disruptors. Uh, there were also metal tests done, mercury, aluminum, lead, all at sky high levels. But here was the real clincher, glyphosate. Mm. was found in me and the Agent Orange pesticide yep. at high levels. Now, and was that a I urine? wasn't was out that there grazing in the grass, you know? <laughs> yeah, was that a urine test that you were doing? Yes, it was. Yeah, so, it yeah. was by uh, Great Plains Lab. Yeah. yeah, so they have the glyphosate tests and they also have the Envirotox test. Basically, this, yeah, and we actually have that carry them on our website so I'll have a link in the show notes for those tests if anybody wants to get them. But they're a simple tests to do. Basically, it's like a morning urine, uh, just one sample, and they can actually look at both of those, your glyphosate levels and the environmental toxins. And uh, yeah, really good thing to see what's coming out of your system. And, you know, so many people have glyphosate in their water, you know, because they're using uh, all, all different types of uh, herbicides that have glyphosate, Roundup, things like that on their grass. And it's getting in their drinking water. It's they're being exposed to it when they inhale it, when they go outside after it's being sprayed. So yeah, I'm not surprised by that. So many people have it and we, we just don't think about it. But keep the going. interesting thing to me is that my husband and I do the same things. We eat the same foods. We live in the same household. He did not have the high levels mm -hmm. I had. And so I had to look at that and I had to say, what's going on here? My system must not detox as well as his system. And I think that's a genetic tendency, but it's also a tendency you can change through exercising more, through sauna, through hydrating more, you know. So I had to look at, again, I didn't want this aggressive cancer coming back. And aggressive cancer is, makes you high risk for the cancer to come back. And I wanted to seal that baby and not let it come back out and rear its ugly head. And so getting my toxic levels down was a key and I had to go to a practitioner to get help with that because it's not easy yeah. to do. I mean, you need some guidance and some help to do it and do it well. I am now, you know, in the green level on all those same toxins. It took a while, it was worth it because when your toxic load is as high as mine was, your immune system is not working as God intended. And that I believe to be the main reason I got cancer, but I don't think it's usually one reason. So I kept looking. And when the chaplain at Cancer Treatment Centers of America looked back on my life the past seven to 15 years, I was taking care of an Alzheimer's patient on top of a job, a mother with cancer, a father-in-law with heart disease, and a mother-in-law who also died of cancer. Mm -hmm. So that chronic grief of watching them suffer, even though they all went to heaven and yep. they were all, you know, wonderful Christians, watching them go through that was very difficult on both my sister, my husband, 
and I, and I think that also contributed to my immune system being suppressed. Well, that makes sense. The emotional element of it uh, plays such a large role in this. And so uh, obviously we talked about some of those risk factors there. Um, anything else show up? Did you get any blood work done? Any uh, like nutrient deficiencies that, that you may have seen? Um, now, cancer treatment centers that, of oh. America did a blood test for vitamin D and they no. told me right off the bat, it was 28 and they said, you mm. should be between 70, 90, maybe a hundred, but no more than a hundred. And so now they test me every year and they make sure I'm holding between 80 and 90. Oh, great. Because they said that in and of itself could have helped to prevent my breast cancer. And I really appreciated feedback from them. You see, at Cancer Treatment Centers of America, they put a naturopathic doctor and a nutritionist on your case, an acupuncturist if needed. I mean, they really roll out the red carpet for their patients and they were very good to me. Yeah, for sure. And vitamin D plays such a big role when it comes to your immune system, right? So it really, really helps with regulating the immune system. A lot of research out about having optimal vitamin D levels, like you talked about. You know, I look at the range between really about 60 to 100, but for cancer prevention, especially somebody that has some sort of aggressive cancer, yeah, and that 80 to up to 100 range is a really great range. How many, how many international units are you taking to keep you at that 80 to 90 range? I'm taking 5,000, but I know it depends on the person. So you really have to do that test every so often to make sure you're not going too high or too low. That's true. Yeah. Usually I recommend about 1,000 international units per 25 pounds of body weight. So that seems about right. You're probably getting a little bit when you consume something like a grass-fed butter or, you know, obviously getting sunshine, you know, you're going to get some, some vitamin D that way. So, uh, so some, some different things like that as well. Now let's talk about your eight steps because in your book, you outline eight steps to prevent and survive cancer. So let's dive into that a little bit. Okay. Well, the first step is definitely hydration mm. because okay. every cell and every body system needs sufficient hydration in order to work as God intended. And I think most people in America today, and I was, I already knew this before the cancer journey. So I was working on that, on this, and I would speak on it when I would speak at wellness conferences for school districts and things, that hydration is important. But I had to look at it a little bit closer when this happened to me. And during the chemotherapy, I'm getting half my body weight in fluid ounces, and then I'm adding three to four extra glasses of water, just like you would if you had the flu or, you know, any situation. They tell you in certain situations to up hydration. My nutritionist at CTCA told me to up my hydration, and it would lower the side effects of the chemotherapy, plus assure that they get to where they're supposed to get to, and then get back out. So it takes both hydration and exercise to get it in and get it back out and work the lymphatic system properly. So I did do that. I know that some people today, and I didn't know this at the time, are actually water fasting the day, two days before, the day of, and a day or two after, if they can possibly make it, or at least the day before, the day of, and the day after. And it seems like, from what I'm hearing, that the chemotherapy goes more to the cancer cells than to the normal cells. And that has to do with the fact of the state that your body's in because you are fasting. So I would really like to see them use, you know, just all cancer hospitals, I know this is pie in the sky, but use less chemotherapy. I believe in the chemotherapy, but I believe the best way now that I've learned more is to test your own cancer cells to see which adjuvants, which nutrients, and which chemicals work the best on you because what works for one person may not work for another people. And you don't want to waste chemicals that do have side effects for your body. You want to make sure you get that right up front if you're going to use chemotherapy. And then in my opinion, the lower the dose, the better. Yeah, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And like you were talking about there with the kind of five-day fast um, around the chemotherapy, the goal there is um, basically to get your body in ketosis. So when you're not burning uh, sugar for fuel because you haven't consumed a lot of food, then your body starts burning your own body fat and you, you turn on ketones. And that suppresses insulin, keeps your blood sugar very low. And 
we know that cancer cells are anaerobic, meaning that they really survive and thrive on, on glucose metabolism. So when there's not a whole lot of sugar there, they become weak and hungry. And when the chemotherapy comes in, now they're going to gobble that up. You're going to try to gobble up whatever's in the bloodstream. So you're going to get a lot more um, chemotherapy uptake by the cancer cells. And then the normal cells are actually protected because the ketones have a chemoprotective effect for the normal cells, which is really interesting. They strengthen their mitochondria and those cells become more uh, resilient to any sort of damage from the chemotherapy. So you have less side effects as well. Wish so, I had known that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, most people don't think about it. When you think about cancer, they think, well, these people are suffering. They need food and nutrients and all this kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, the goal there, they're trying to feed them. And really what we're, we're seeing is that the less, the better. Now, there are some states where somebody has like extreme cachexia, uh, which is where they're wasting away. Right. They might do that. But um, at the same time, for a lot of people doing this sort of fasting regimen can be extraordinarily helpful. I've seen many people do well doing it. I've, I've worked with people utilizing this and seeing phenomenal results with it. And like you said, there's you, you need less chemotherapy. There's a lot less side effects and um, better overall results by doing it. So, uh, so it's a great strategy that way. Um, great. You know, I'm a huge fan of hydration. You know, I believe that, you know, we're bioelectrical beings, meaning that we actually produce energy through water and electrolytes. And so we think about Thanksgiving, we eat a big meal, we feel tired, right? But if you hydrate well and um, you get your body metabolically flexible to where you're good at burning your own body fat for fuel, um, you'll produce tons of energy. I actually feel very mentally clear, very energetic when you are fasting as long as you're hydrated and you've got the electrolytes that you need. And it also opens up those drainage pathways, helps you poop better, um, right. helps, helps get toxins out through your urine. You know, we've got to pee and poop our way to good health in a sense. Um, and so those are two key pathways that we help to improve when we're well hydrated. So very important stuff. And we want our body to be like a river, not like a pond that literally stays there and, you know, it, it, it um, ends up fermenting and, and creating all of this, uh, you know, stench that comes from the pond. We want things moving like a river and that helps facilitate life and health. So right. love the first and it's one. critical. It's critical in the cancer journey because when that chemotherapy goes in, you yeah. do not want your body to get backed up and constipated or sluggish. You want it to sure. move on through because it'll recirculate in your body. And that's when people get so, so sick. That's a really good point right there. And, and one of the side effects of chemotherapy oftentimes is constipation. So that hydration really helps and binding it with the water and getting it out in the stool as well as the urine very important, like you said, because we don't want that auto-intoxication auto that can take place um, if you don't get it out. So that was the first one. What's What was number two? Well, number two was deep sleep, just simply mm. because your body repairs and detoxifies while you're sleeping. And they told me in the cancer journey, my uh, naturopathic doctor told me that I would not be able to recover from all the surgeries and the chemotherapy and the treatments if I did not get sufficient sleep. And then on the other side of that, you've got the fact that the things they give you before chemotherapy make it so it's hard for you to sleep. Yeah. So I got five pre-meds and then the chemotherapy, it was an eight hour ordeal for me every time I got chemotherapy. So it was hard to sleep, but I had to learn how to do it in a natural way, if at all possible, and put all my efforts towards that. And it's one of the reasons I decided not to return to work. I was retirement age. I decided to make fighting cancer my full-time goal rather than trying to have a full-time job while I was doing it. Because I knew what would happen is if I couldn't sleep, then I'd be forced to get up at 5.30 a.m. to get ready to go to work. And then I was putting my life and my cancer journey at risk for the sake of a job. So I was able to do that. But what I recommend to people is if they can't get the sleep needed because of a job, then they need to look at temporary disability until they mm -hmm. get through their cancer yeah. treatments because sleep is free and it's one of those things that you really need to detox your body and you need it for it to heal and you've just got to get it. It helps prevent cancer and disease in the first place. But once you're in the cancer journey, it's going to be critical for you to get that deep, consistent sleep. You're so right about that. I mean, you really can't heal without good sleep. And so um, I'm, I'm right there with you. I recommend my clients 
that are dealing with cancer take a leave of absence from work if possible, um, you know, or at least, you know, cut down the hours part-time work from home kind of thing uh, to where it's minimally stressful. So I think that's just so important and, um, you know, shouldn't be overlooked and really prioritizing good sleep. So what are your top strategies for helping improve good quality, deep sleep? Well, one of the things was I had to remove myself from, from the yeah. charging next to my bed and remove anything in the room like the uh, electric alarm clock that was ticking and, you know, just any amount of light. I had to make the room cool. I had to look at what I was doing during the day that might contribute to me not sleeping at night. And then I used some natural essential oils. I used the Serenity by doTERRA. I'm sure there's lots of things out there to help me to go to sleep at night. And to be perfectly honest, if that didn't work, I would get up and go to the sofa in the living room because sometimes a new place you know, just helps you to be able to fall asleep. And if that didn't work, the doctor did give me something to relax me to go to sleep that I use like rarely. But the point is you have to get to sleep because yeah. you've got to recuperate from what this journey is doing to you. And if you stay up all night, you're not doing yourself any favors. Yeah, for sure. And, and to tack on that, um, you really don't want to eat late at night. So I always recommend eating, you know, basically at least three hours before you go to bed. That's a really good idea. Mm -hmm. You don't want to exercise too late at night. Exercising earlier in the day will help sleep. But if you exercise late at night, not going to be good for your good quality sleep. And also getting good sun exposure early in the day actually can help set your circadian rhythm. So getting out early in the day, getting sun exposure really sets your circadian rhythm will help you fall asleep and dim your lights in the evening. Like when the, when it gets dark at night, you should have your lights dim. It's better to have more of kind of the red orange lighting uh, rather than bright white lights in your home because they have more blue light, which can block the melatonin. So you want minimal lighting, right? And whatever lighting you do have should should be more similar to like a candle light in a sense. Um, it's a little bit less invasive and uh, dry. It basically, it's not going to do to uh, inhibit the melatonin release quite as much when you do that. So those are just some good strategies to follow. But yeah, we got to prioritize. And that melatonin is key. <laughs> you know, that's like your body's natural anti-cancer mm -hmm. agent right there that you produce on your own every single day, or at least you should be producing. And you want to make sure you optimize that because it's free. And Amen. you have to follow the right strategies to get it to release properly. Um, what else? What's number three? Oh, definitely exercise. Hmm. Exercise was my buddy during the whole entire journey. When I was first diagnosed, I walked to relieve the stress. And then when it was time before the first surgery, I, after I came out of the surgery, I walked before the surgery. And then after I came out, I had all these tubes attached to my body that I did not know what to do with. They were very uncomfortable and I wanted them gone. So I asked the nurse what I could do to get rid of the catheter. And he said, if you can walk four rounds of this hospital floor at six o'clock tomorrow morning, I'll take it out. Well, I was ready at six o'clock to go. I ended up walking two miles that day on the hospital floor, pulling the pole with all the tubes and medical apparatus behind me, but it felt so good. And at one point, the nurse called my surgeon and said, oh, she's already hit a mile. Should I stop her? And she said, no, as long as she has the energy and the balance. And I did. By the time I got back to my room and lunch was served, my surgeon comes in and she said, we're going to release you a day early. And you were supposed to go home with tubes for two weeks for your husband to nurse. She said, your exercise has already drained the tubes. You have limited blood clots in your body. You have jump-started healing in your body and oxygenated your body. She said, I'm releasing you early with no tubes. And that's a rarity in a breast cancer surgery. So exercise was great for me then. And then, of course, every day I'm exercising. And then it's time for the thing I don't want, chemotherapy. Mm. And at the time, the research was not clear about this. I did it by instinct. No one told me to do it. But I told my husband, I said, I'm going to walk two miles before chemotherapy to relieve my nerves because I don't want to do it. <laughs> and two miles afterwards, I had no idea what that was going to do for me. And then I would continue that every day after the chemotherapy. 
after I went through all the chemotherapy and did so well, one of my doctors came back and said, have you seen the new research of the 30 entities in Australia about what exercise does for the cancer patient? What you did by instinct, they have now proven, is the best thing a cancer patient can do. It relieves stress and it helps the chemo to target the cancer. And then it pumps the lymphatic system because once it does its kill job, you want to move the chemo out of the body. That is the biggest problem that cancer patients have. So again, hydration and exercise together makes a huge difference. But now they're telling cancer patients because of that study, that meta-analysis study in Australia with 30 different cancer entities feeding into it, that the best thing a cancer patient can do is exercise. Now, years ago, it was, oh, you had your chemotherapy. Just go home and lie in bed all week and see if you can get up possibly. And I was like, really? I mean, that's what they were telling people because that's all they knew at the time. Mm. Now they know the lymphatic system's got to take out the trash. And if you don't move, it's not going to do it. So I've told people who are going through the cancer journey, a lot of people call me and I go, get your patient up. If they have the energy and the balance, you can walk them around the hospital floor after that chemotherapy. But they've got to keep moving. I've had doctors come in my home and I've told them, you know, you got to keep moving. Don't go home and lay down for weeks after chemotherapy. You're not helping yourself. And then at the end, of course, I get this pill for five years that estrogen-fed cancer patients get for a minimum of five years. It's a hormone blocker, and it kills your bone density. It can wreck your sleep. It can cause depression, all these things. Well, exercise is the cure for all that. So instead of taking five drugs to remedy what one pill does to my body, I'm using exercise, and I just got my test results back last month. And in six months, I have increased my bone density back to what it was before I got the chemotherapy and the pill for five years. That's great. And you've been taking that estrogen blocker. Is that tamoxifen or something like that? You've been no, taking it's, uh, it's anastrozole. If you're over okay. a certain age, then you get yeah. anastrozole usually yeah. or something like that. The tamoxifen is for the people usually under 50 that are before menopause. Yeah. But that it can really do, between the chemo, and that pill, it can do a number on most people's bone density plummets. Right. And then you've got to deal with osteopenia or osteoporosis. Yep. And I've got part of my body back to the end of the normal range and then part in the osteopenia range. But the point is, I was approaching osteoporosis because of the treatments. Yeah. So you have to keep that in mind. You have to carefully watch that bone density. And if you are not willing to stress the bone and do those, I do yoga exercises and uh, the PT therapist at Cancer Treatment Centers of America made up a routine of exercises for me to target my bone density. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast and tell you about these keto cookies that taste incredible. I mean, it took this company over a year to formulate this product to ensure that it did not cause your blood sugar to spike, your ketones to drop, your insulin to spike and promote inflammation in the body, which most products, most you know, sweet treats, even low carb treats actually do. I know I've tried so many low carb cookies and they threw me out of ketosis. And so these keto cookies, are actually formulated with ingredients that are not gonna impact your blood sugar in the same way. You got things like grass-fed butter, almond flour, coconut flour, coconut oil, egg. Uh, it's got acacia gum, which is actually a great prebiotic fiber. It's got grass-fed collagen, which is incredible for your skin, your hair, your nails, your gut lining, and your joints. So if you're looking for a great keto dessert, you know, these are things that you probably could get away with eating every day for, for a lot of you guys and do well. But if you're just looking for something as like an occasional uh, treat and you don't, you're, you're tired of trying to make these things, these different uh, keto dessert recipes on your own, then pick these up. They're the Perfect Keto Keto Cookies. So simply go to perfectketo.com forward slash drjockers. 
and use the coupon code Dr. Jockers, all one word. So just D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S to save 15% off of these today. Again, that's perfectketo.com forward slash drjockers. Use the coupon code Dr. Jockers to save 15% off. You guys are going to love these cookies. I'm telling you what, you might as well get a few cases because you're going to love them. Your family's going to love them and uh, you might as well stock up. All right, back to the podcast, which is great. And so uh, obviously there's a proof in the pudding that your bone density has not been depleted. In fact, it's better now uh, because you've been doing this. And so, you know, we need that you know, exercise is basically a stress on the body and the right, the right amount of stress helps make our body stronger. And uh, so getting out, getting moving helps improve your oxygenation. So your ability to get oxygen deep into the cells, which is just so important for overall health. We know that cancer is anaerobic, so it doesn't survive in an oxygen-based environment. So exercise, again, enhances our ability to use oxygen for, for energy, helps drive down our blood sugar and our insulin levels. So uh, a lot of good reasons there for, for getting regular exercise in. And, you know, when you're going through chemotherapy um, or if you've been diagnosed with cancer, if you haven't, if you're not exercising on a regular basis to begin with, it can be hard to be motivated to start up. Um, but it's perhaps the most important time, right, it, to, to get going with that. How did you find the motivation to do that? I was already exercising, not as much as I did, but I was already walking several miles a day. Again, I didn't have a lot of the risk factors for the cancer that I got because exercise is a major strategy for prevention to begin with. But I never did the bone density exercises to stress those bones to help increase my bone density. So it was just a matter of I did that out of discipline because I didn't want to take the bone shots because I knew that they were going to build my bone from the outside in rather than the inside out. And I didn't want the side effects that might come with that. So that was my motivation and it did work, but I know some people are doing both. They're taking the pill or the shot to increase the bone density. But if you're going to do that, at least do the exercises with it. For sure. All right. So what is the next step? I believe we've covered three of them so far, right? Exercise, water, deep sleep, and exercise. Yep. So number four. Right. The fourth is food as medicine. Mm. And again, if I, you go back to my high school days, I would definitely tell you that I was the junk food queen. Okay. And I learned, you know, at that time that I wasn't going to make it being the junk food queen, but it was my dad's journey with Alzheimer's where I went to the Alzheimer's conference with all the lead medical researchers in Charleston. And I got to ask questions and they attribute a lot of it to our culture and our diet. And I was just amazed. And it was too late for my dad at that point. He was too far gone. But I began changing my diet even more then. But when I got cancer, I really had to look at food in a different light and look at it, as they say, as medicine. What am I eating that's going to give me high nutrients and low calories instead of the opposite? And when you start looking at the plant profiles, and I had to look carefully at each plant profile and how the DNA in plants complements our body's DNA, Mm-hmm. then what I eat, I mean, I really am what I eat. And of course, I really am what I eat eats. In other words, if I eat a cow that's been fed GMO feed and been given all these hormones, then that's going to be passed on to me. So I have gone all organic as much as possible, according to the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. I've gone organic with the meats and wild-caught fish And I really try to make sure I get cruciferous vegetables every single day in my smoothie. There are certain things that I get every day that build the immune system. And in the five years after the chemotherapy has been over, they warned me that I would be sick a lot because my immune system would be compromised. The white blood cells, the red blood cells, and the platelets were strongly hit by my chemotherapy. And they told me I would even possibly have blood transfusions. It was so bad. Well, I never had to do that, but eating foods that build my immune system kept it so my white blood cells have remained high and I haven't caught anything 
in that five years. And that's really rare for someone who's had the chemotherapy that I've had. That's really great. Absolutely. And cruciferous vegetables have compounds called glycosinolates, which uh, one compound in there is sulforaphane. Really, really powerful for helping downregulate bad estrogen. So we have all these different estrogen metabolites. Some of them promote growth. They, they, they amplify the growth message. All estrogens are growth promoters. Some really amplify it. Uh, and some subtypes are more mild, more protective. And for a lot of people, uh, due to nutrient deficiencies, due to genetics, um, toxin exposure, they end up with a whole lot of these really growth amplifying uh, estrogen metabolites. And so sulforaphane, getting that from broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, things like that, kale. Um, and if you do this, the actual sprouts, like broccoli sprouts and kale sprouts, really rich in this stuff. Radishes are another good one. Um, you know, that's going to help, help move you in the right direction when it comes to the right, getting the right subtypes of estrogen and keeping overall growth under control. Because we don't want this massive expression of growth. And that's where insulin, the hormone that regulates blood sugar and estrogen work, they are growth promoters. And, you know, after we get, you know, to adulthood, we don't want to be overstimulating those. Um, and so very, very important stuff there. What does your typical diet look like, Jenny? Like what, um, Let's talk about your a day in the life, you know, what you're typically eating. Um, you know, do you do intermittent fasting at all? What, is the, what does this all look like for you? Well, I am doing intermittent fasting right now. I'm trying not to eat till about 11 or 12 o'clock in the morning. I'm retired, so I can do that easier than yeah. someone else. But that was after watching your fasting transformation. My husband did it with me, and he had pain in his joints, yeah. And the pain went away. And yeah. he's like, what is this? I said, it's lowering inflammation. That's right. And so um, I'm doing that now because I'd really like to get my weight down a little bit more. And I think it's, it's good. After listening to your transformation, I realized it's good for me to do that. Now, I was always cautioned not to do that because I have the tendency for the blood sugar problems. And then I'm finding that, you know, I can do it. I can go for a day and not eat and just yep. water fast. Yep. But what the first thing I eat in the morning now at 11 or 12, I just finished it, is a chocolate banana blueberry smoothie with mm. cruciferous vegetables, broccoli sprouts, some certain things in there that I don't particularly like, but the chocolate and banana uh, covers it up. And I know some people don't like to drink the same thing every day, but I'll change out the greens and I'll change out the berries sometimes and add strawberries or combo of berries. But it works for me and my husband because we love chocolate. Yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. And, so and that works for us. It's really easy on the digestive system. So you're able to get those nutrients in, puts less work on your gut too. So that's a really good thing. Right. And it builds the gut. Yeah. I put, um, one of the things I put in there is the fermented foods that I don't like to eat, I clump them in there too. It covers that up too. I, it covers up a multitude of things that I might not normally eat, but we're getting like five or six superfoods in that smoothie. And the recipe is in my book because I put it together from experience and everybody's kind of got to make it their own. Some people might like more chocolate. I use coconut milk. I do. I'm getting away from the dairy Mm -hmm. I'm getting away from the gluten because I'm yeah. starting to see that it own, it doesn't help my system. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I want my gut to be functioning properly because I'd never looked at that until I got cancer. Yeah, absolutely. The only dairy product that I'm okay with for cancer patients is really grass-fed butter or ghee because it doesn't have the inflammatory proteins. Some of the proteins that are in dairy, casein and whey, really stimulate growth in the body. Um, whey can stimulate insulin. Um, casein can be very inflammatory in the gut. A lot of people have trouble breaking that down. So uh, that can be tough on the system. And it doesn't have the sugar in dairy either, but it does have fats. And if you get grass-fed dairy, you're going to have omega-3 fatty acids. You're going to have fat-soluble nutrients like vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, phosphatidylcholine, which is a really powerful nutrient for healthy brain function, healthy bile flow, um, serine, different things like that. So grass-fed butter has, has great benefits. But other than that, you really want to avoid milk, cheese, 
right? All those kinds of products, even yogurt, right? A lot of people think yogurt is real healthy, tends to have higher amounts of sugar. You've also got those proteins in there. So coconut milk is a really good alternative. And, you know, if you want yogurt, you can find coconut milk yogurt these days too. That's what I use. I found it by yeah. so good. I think I forgot what yeah, it's called. So, so good. Like so delicious. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I do, but it's hard to find only whole food. I can't find many places yeah. that have, has it, but I right. do use that. Yeah, for sure. So that's a good one. Um, great. So you're doing the smoothie. What else are you doing like throughout the day? Like what is, uh, are you just doing two meals a day? Um, I'm basically, are- when I do that intermittent fasting, I just do two meals a day. That's all I need being a senior yeah, citizen. And at dinner, we will have, we don't have meat at every meal like we mm-hmm. used to. I'm not saying we don't yeah. eat meat. If we do, it's wild caught or yeah. it's grass fed. But yeah. I'm learning to make these dishes that just don't have any of that type protein, plant-based protein. Yeah. Yeah. And that works. It took me a while to find a few things that we like and we found some soups that aren't mm. too bad either. So I stuck with the recipes I already had and changed it to organic and yeah. then tried to lessen the meat in those. And then I looked at new things that I could bring in gradually because it was a big change for both of us. But now that we've made the change, it's really not such a big deal. You know, yeah. we're we're kind of used to it now. And when you know what these foods have in them and then what benefit healthy foods give you, it makes you more motivated to eat those healthy foods instead of going towards the junk that I used to eat routinely, you know? Yeah, yeah for sure. So what was dinner like last night? What was actually on your plate? We had a homemade chicken and wild rice soup, mm. everything organic, everything made from scratch. And when I make it, I made a big pot, shared it with someone who had gotten out of the hospital. Mm. I froze some for later and we ate it three nights straight because we love it so much. Oh yeah, there you go. Make it in bulk. That saves you time too. So. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Great. Well, sounds good. Now, that was the fourth thing we talked about nutrition. What was number five? What was the fifth step to prevent and heal cancer? It's something I learned at the Truth About Cancer conference. I already knew the first four and I had to dig deeper. But when I went to the Truth About Cancer twice, I learned that emotions can have a powerful impact on the body. So I call those few chapters using your faith to manage your emotions. Because one of the things I discovered was that I'm pretty happy-go-lucky, and, and no matter what happens, I can roll with the punches. But what I didn't realize was that grief can derail your immune system. And there are a lot of negative emotions, and grief is a normal emotion. Mm-hmm. But when it goes on for 15 years without stopping, and you barely have a break in between, then that's not good. So, you know, i I think the fact that I have a happy-go-lucky personality did help me somewhat, but that grief, when I realized that it distracted my immune system, I realized that I had to change the way I was doing things. And I put different things in there, like using a heart coherence app to help you deep breathe and relax. I was already exercising from the grief of my dad's illness with Alzheimer's. I was keeping him every weekend. So I was going like a rat on a wheel you know, with a full-time job and being out of town. So your emotions do impact your body and your health. And I had to take a good long look at that and make changes. Yeah. Yeah. Emotions are are a huge factor. And a lot of times it's subconscious. We don't really know how it's affecting us. So for sure. And, And what were some of the strategies you used to help improve that? You talked about utilizing your faith, relying on your faith. So how did, um, what what were some strategies that you used? Well, I started doing research on different positive emotions because Paul tells us to look on the good, you know, no matter what you're going through, look, look at the good things, whatever's true, whatever's lovely, think on those things. And then I looked at the things in the Bible that God talks about, and he talks about the value of laughter, And I want you to know, I have never laughed as much as I've laughed during the cancer journey because you're under a lot of stress. And after I got that terrible, horrible, no good, very bad news that 
That doctor thought it was all over my body. And I flew up to Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Chicago. I mean, I was just devastated. But I was looking for the funny things along the way. And when they, they pick you up at the airport, by the way, they had a driver there waiting for us when we got there. And there was a guy that came up and said, I think I'm supposed to go with you and that driver. And I said, really? So the driver called the cancer center and he said, no, I'm not supposed to pick you up. And I looked at him and I said, uh, young man, do you know where we're going? And he said, no. I said, we're going to the cancer center. <laughs> I've never seen someone turn around and exit stage left so quickly. And we laughed the whole way to the cancer center. And I said, I don't want to go to the cancer center. I wouldn't be here if I didn't have to be. And my husband said, I don't want you to have to go to the cancer center. And the driver said, I wish I didn't have to drive people to the cancer center. <laughs> and we just laughed. And when I got back from the first surgery, my insurance company, believe it or not, Blue Cross Blue Shield, sent a nurse from Dallas, Texas, this is how bad my case was, to get to know me and to meet me. And she flew up on a plane to meet me at my home. And so when I, I had just been looking over my bills and the estimated cost of what this journey was going to cost me, and I realized I was a three quarters of a million dollar cancer patient. So when she rang the doorbell, I answered it and I said, well, before I let you in, Nancy, I need to know this do you have a gun in your briefcase? She said, why, no. Why would I have a gun? And I said, well, considering I'm your newest three quarters of a million dollar cancer patient, I thought that maybe I was worth more dead than alive. <laughs> she looked at me with horror in her eyes and then she realized that's my sense of humor. And she said, keep it up. It'll help you through the journey. And it did. So important. Absolutely. All right. Great. So step music. Let me tell you about music. Let me tell you about music real oh, quick. Yeah, music. Yeah. I love Johnny Erickson Tata and I've interviewed her mm -hmm. several times and she's been through the cancer journey twice, but she's the oldest living quadriplegic in the world at 70 years old, soon to be 71 in October. And it's amazing. She's still alive and it's music. She lets the word of hymns minister to her soul mm. through music and it's just something she constantly does and anytime you uplift the soul with hope with um music with laughter it's or praise to god prayer meditation concentrating on his word it helps the body to heal yeah absolutely well all those things can help push in that parasympathetic mode where and that's your rest digest and heal part of your nervous system so it really turns on the healing switch and most people are in fight or flight all day and uh so really resetting and being intentional about doing those things can be so powerful so um you know one of the things i play we play in our house are the whole tones i don't know if you're familiar with them uh michael tyrell and um they have a, a unique key i can't remember i think it's like 444 hertz that they're played on and um, it actually stimulates healing potential in your body, right? And he's got a sleep, he's got a whole tones to go so uh, that you can listen to while you're sleeping, which is great. Um, and I'm like you, uh, you know, in our house, we have worship music on on a regular basis, you know, always uplifting things, it's so important. And, um, you know, famous quote, laughter is our best medicine, right? So definitely important stuff to do. Yes. So I like step number five there. What's step number six? Well, it's definitely gratitude mm. because it is the one attitude that has the most research behind it. And yeah. it actually does promote healing. And I taught it to my students. I was 32 years in the school system as a counselor and an adjunct professor. And I taught my kids, no matter what they went through, to get up every morning and count your blessings. And now the research clearly shows that when you do that, it's just promoting healing in your body. And it makes a difference in the journey. So I had to take some of my own medicine there. Yeah. As things were happening to me, I had to keep my mind, as Paul said, focused on the good. Right. And all the things I could be thankful for mm. in the cancer journey. And the probably the most... I mean, there were so many things to be thankful for, but my husband stood like a rock beside me. And, you know, when you lose all your hair, 
you know, usually it takes two or three chemo treatments and some chemo, you don't lose your hair. Well, mine was the first treatment was so strong. Every hair on my body was gone. And he stood by me after surgery, after surgery, after surgery, and after no hair. And I wouldn't even want to look in the mirror at myself. And he would say, honey, you're still the most beautiful woman east of the Mississippi River. (laughs) And my sense of humor is wondering what those poor women look like (laughs) if this is what I'm looking like. But to have that love and that companionship and that support and to make it through chemotherapy and they prepared me for two to five years, my immune system would be compromised. In six weeks, it was back within normal limits after Mm -hmm. chemotherapy. And they called me their rock star cancer patient, but I'm convinced it it wasn't the chemo because the chemo was killing the immune system. It was the things I was doing to make things better. And now with what I've learned, I think I could even do better and I could do less chemo. Yep, absolutely. Well, so good. You know, they say in the Bible, it's a proverb, um, cheerful heart is good medicine, right? And so, uh, so right. gratitude is just so important. Let's talk about step number seven. Well, that was a, another one that I flunked. Um, I did not realize that my body had accumulated such a toxic load. So, Step number seven is lowering your toxic load. I go into great detail how toxic our world has become, but the shock when those tests came back and I realized how high my toxic level was and a lot of those toxins were endocrine disruptors. They mimicked estrogen. They were xenoestrogens. And then I didn't have to wonder why I had an estrogen-fed cancer anymore. And, And that's why I just, I knew I had to write the book because I thought, how many women out there are like me? It's not everyone, but they're accumulating these toxins. They're getting exposed to things on their skin, through water, through their food, through the household cleaning products, through what they breathe, and they don't realize their bucket is full and a lot of the chemicals are hormone disruptors. And then there's all these one in eight women get breast cancer and 80% are estrogen fed and 90% of the men who get breast cancer, which is not as great as the women, the number, 90% are estrogen fed. So what does that tell you when God didn't make a man to have as much estrogen and they're getting estrogen dominance? Right. I mean, something's clearly wrong. You got it. Prostate and colon cancer oftentimes are estrogen dominant cancers as well for men. So absolutely, we, have, we are swimming in an abundance of estrogen-mimicking molecules, the so things in plastics, phthalates, uh, personal care products, makeups, a lot of pesticides, herbicides. They act as estrogen mimickers as well. So we're surrounded by these things. And really, the key is to minimize our exposure, but then also we've got to open up our drainage pathways, like you were talking about hydrating, moving our body, you know, peeing and pooping well, sweating like the sauna. These things are important to get rid of this, the, the, your toxic load on a daily basis, just so important. Let's talk about step number eight. So eight steps to prevent and survive cancer. Guys, unleash your God-given healing. Amazing book. So what's uh, step number eight? Definitely healing and restoring the gut. Another one that I flunked here. I thought I was a health nut and I wasn't health nutty enough. Antibiotics destroy the gut lining. Chemotherapy destroys the gut lining. The interesting thing is that my naturopathic doctors had my back on this one. I was the first patient at Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Chicago to get the vitamin C infusions before each chemotherapy. So that was to protect my gut as well as build my immune system, okay? But chemotherapy still is going to wreak havoc on the gut. Even though I was protecting it, maybe mine didn't get totally destroyed, but there was damage done. I had to completely rebuild my gut through what I did and through what I ate. And I now follow uh, Dr. Jordan Rubin's um, keys that I learned from him at The Truth About Cancer. And that is eating two to three probiotic foods a day, plus Mm -hmm. taking a probiotic substance. I get a lot of that probiotic in my smoothie the yogurt and 
uh, the sauerkraut, and then I drink an apple cider vinegar mm-hmm. tonic drink first thing in the morning after my first glass of water. And so I'm trying to get three probiotic foods a day, and I'm trying to eliminate the gluten and the dairy and anything that's going to irritate my gut because that's where your immune system is. Mm-hmm. And you know, I didn't know that until I went through the cancer journey. And I look at the many cancer patients out there that have been through chemotherapy and their gut is totally destroyed. Well, no wonder their immune system is struggling to rebound. So I hope that they will look at the book, apply some of these things and have a healthier prognosis. I think what's amazing about my case is not that the cancer almost killed me. It's that I didn't die from all the treatments and the damage done to my body. And that's because of the things I was clearly doing, you know, and I, I don't think I could have gone through the chemotherapy if I didn't have help from people like people come to you and they're helping their patients to do it so that the damage is not going to be so bad. I mean, I did not come out with, I didn't have any major side effects except the red and white blood cells and platelets went temporarily down, but came back up. But I, all the mouth sores and the chronic pain and the things that, that people talk about, the low immune system and all those things. I didn't have that. And they told me I went through the worst chemotherapy known to mankind for the longest amount of time. And I'll tell you this, a guy who was watching me here, a well-known Duke University oncologist who was watching me from home, he saw me after my fourth chemotherapy and he said, I've never seen anyone go through this chemotherapy regime who just walked two miles before they came to see me. You're laughing and smiling during our appointment. And he said, usually after the fourth chemo, people can't lift their head off the pillow for weeks. And you act like nothing happened, except your ball is a bat. I mean, you're bald. Just, you know. And he got so inquisitive. He asked me what I was doing. I told him. And he held up his waiting room. And he was taking notes. And I thought he was going to throw them away. He started researching what I was saying. And he ended up starting a cancer prevention and wellness center for the hospital system he worked for that does research and cancer patients can go to to get extra help. And they sent two nurse practitioners out to get trained in the kind of things I was talking about. Wow, it's so, so great I consider to- that a great victory for the cancer world. If more cancer hospitals would do that. For sure. We really need that marriage between integrative and conventional medicine and um, and so a lot of people in the conventional medicine world are closed-minded when it comes to na- the natural health world using lifestyle medicine, and vice versa. There's a lot of people in the natural health world that uh, you know are kind of dogmatically against any sort of therapy from the conventional world. And so we really need to have a marriage there because uh, both have a place. And the more that they we definitely can, both have a place. Exactly, I agree. That we can use those together in the in the utilizing them appropriately. Um, you know, the, the more synergy we have and the better effect we have. And then the end result is we get an amazing healing story like yours. And, uh, you know, we're able to influence more and more people around the world to, to help improve their lifestyle. So, um, so it's so important. And uh, Jenny, a great book. Uh, again, guys, Unleash Your God-Given Healing. We'll have a, a link there that you can get it on Amazon um, and also off of, off of uh, Jenny's website as well. Um, so you can get it there. Great book. I know if you have anybody, family members that that may have been diagnosed with cancer, or maybe you have a family history of cancer, you're concerned about it. This is a fantastic book to pick up. Um, you have a friend that's uh, that's needing it for their for themselves or a family member. Really great book. Very very inspiring. Uh, easy to read and a lot of good action steps to start to apply. So definitely, guys, check that out. Jenny, any last words of inspiration for our audience here? I will say this, I have a cancer prevention blog where I continue to go into things that I'm learning and sometimes it'll just be a link to something you've said mm-hmm. on your on your blog. But it, usually I post every week and as I learn more things, then I just, I post it. Sometimes I go into great detail about what's in a lemon, what's in a lime, what's in a superfood and how it benefits you. But they can sign up for the cancer prevention blog as well at my website, JennyBrandt.com. JennyBrandt.com. So just go there, check that out, and uh, you'll get her her emails where uh, 
where she'll well, she'll share all her her latest findings and deep dives <laughs> that she's doing. So thanks again, Ginny. I appreciate you being on. Guys, check her out, GinnyBrandt.com. And remember, the power to heal is within you, and you're more valuable than you think you are. So go out and start taking action today to improve your life and your health. And guys, we'll see you on a future podcast. Be blessed. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.